Hey up Dave, Shandy Andy here. Have I detected a um, chink in your armour as regarding being a light rules player? That Savage Worlds, that sounded pretty crunchy, the way you were describing it to me. I don't know, there was some quite complicated stuff in there. I don't know whether I just got the wrong end of the stick, because it's one of those role-playing games I do not have in my collection, and I, I don't know much about it other than what I've uh, heard off your podcast, but... Hmm... Child out of the cold and listen how the stories told From fairy tales to happenstance, the dice rule every random chance. Take off your coat and stay a while, we'll roll in that deep percent time. All right, so that's Shandy Andy you heard at the top of the show there ahead of TJ Drennan's fantastic Deeper Centaur theme tune. Thanks very much, Andy, for calling in. Uh, Sorry for not having played these, or maybe I did. (laughs) I found uh, the start of an episode going all the way back to October on Savage Worlds. I think I was waiting for some more call-ins or some responses to some questions I asked in the episode. I didn't get them, uh, and then I think I sat on them, but if I played them already, sorry about that. Uh, But, Andy, you're right. Savage Worlds being such uh, being on my shelf and being such a favoured system for me is perhaps a little bit of a surprise. But sometimes I do like to get tactical. I do like um, a little bit of miniatures combat. I've talked about liking 13th Age. It was a very gamey game. And if I really want to get the minis out, Savage Worlds is the one that I'll do it with. Um, it is not really like other systems. It has evolved out of... Um, out of miniatures combat and it does take a little while to get your head around it however once you do get your head around it I find it I can't really explain it but I find it to have just the right balance of of rule simplicity and tactical crunch Uh, but perhaps yeah perhaps there is something of a contradiction there Andy got another one here from Che which also I haven't played for a long time but then I got I, I did get a call in Last week, I think, or maybe a little bit before that, from Josh Beckelheimer about Savage Worlds. Um, That's why I'm playing these now. Hey, Dave Che from Roleplay Rescue. Just wanted to say a big thank you for your Savage Worlds episode. I listened to it on the way home, and it's very interesting. And has slightly reassured me, having bought the Adventure Edition of Savage Worlds, I was worried that I bought a complete dodo based on your previous comments. But you kind of reassured me somewhat many questions i think i have and i need to sort of get to the rules to dive into that but thank you for nudging us on in the right way and giving a really really pretty reasonable overview of you know how the game is and some of the differences i really appreciated that um so yeah thanks game on uh cheers for calling in chase sorry it took me so long to play it but uh but i had to play it of course because of the high praise that was on there for my pretty reasonable overview <laughs> of savage worlds right this is the calling from from josh if you're not interested in savage worlds i then get involved in quite a long um answer to this which is the rest of the episode so if you don't want to get into my criticisms of adventure edition you could probably move along now hey josh beckelheimer here 
So I saw your tweet about your question involving the Savage Worlds rules, and sadly I am of no help because I think I have the Delec- Deluxe uh, Explorer Edition, the you know the really cheap paperback one. Um, anyways, though, I do gotta say I was thinking about using Savage Worlds for tabletop gaming, you know, using miniatures, but you know everyone was telling me I see RPG. And I'll really, I'm just calling to tell you that I would much rather use Savage Worlds. The rules make a lot more sense. I understand it. It's fairly easy. It's just I never played it because it seemed to rely heavily on miniatures. But now that I have space to do that, I'm kind of looking forward to playing some Savage Worlds. Thanks for this, Josh. Yep. I am also committed to the deluxe edition of Savage Worlds. I've tried the adventure edition, spent a few hours playing it, and until I can get some satisfaction about a couple of rules anxieties I've got about it, I have to say I prefer the deluxe edition. I can see why they've made some of the changes that they've made. A lot of the changes I just think... Perhaps they needed an injection of cash and they needed a new edition. I'm certainly not in the mood to rave about it as much as other people are. don't think the chase rules are any better. And I actually think the deluxe version was a really good um, expression of the rules. Um, and as you say, a nice economical. I think I've got a little one. I've got a nice big hardback one, which is also reasonably, reasonably priced, as I recall. And yeah, if I'm going to play with minis, it's Savage Worlds all the way. I just find it so satisfying. Nice mix of reasonably simple rules. It takes you a while to work out what's going on, but once you do, I think it's really simple, quick to adjudicate, very flexible with your various test uh, and, and trick systems, and really good fun. ICRPG, I've talked about this before, it's not really a minis game. <laughs> and no, no, no amount of sort of strange convoluted tactical diagrams inserted oddly into the rulebook are going to convince me of that. I really like ICRPG for a, for a nice rules-like theatre of the mind experience. Jeroen Hammerguy, he also makes beautiful, um, you know, figure-flat miniatures. And he's, he's rightly well-known for those, but I don't think our ICRPG particularly needs minis or even is enhanced by them so i'm savage worlds all the way my biggest frustration about savage worlds yes you rightly mentioned um, it's a good few episodes ago now i explained why i liked savage worlds so much i talked through some of the changes between um, deluxe and adventure edition and then i talked about some of um, the things i was dissatisfied by and the biggest one is i can see why they did it the the old um, trick system and tests of will wasn't unified. They've unified that. I like that. The idea being you can now use any skill to get yourself a nice little advantage in combat. A um, little bit uneasy with how important they've made athletics. Athletics has now become a sort of unofficial additional fighting skill. Um, a lot of things like grappling rules as written require athletics roles. I might muck about with that. Maybe say that you need the whichever's lowest out of fighting or athletics, or maybe in some cases just ditch athletics and use fighting instead. But those aren't major things. But the thing that I'm a little bit unsatisfied by, um, I mean, tests are good. Tests, they unify 
as an idea. They unify your tests of will, which was where you could use taunt and intimidation to get combat effects, um, and your, your tricks, which is where you could use agility or smart to get advantages in combat. So you'd use smarts to say, look behind you, or agility to pull the rug out from underneath someone, or whatever else seemed environmentally appropriate. It's basically just an opposed role on that trait. Um, and then the test of will you use particular skills and you've got different advantages from each of those. So what they've done in this edition is, they, is they've said, you know, depending on context and environment, you could potentially use any skill to get a combat benefit. That's really nice because one of the things tests can do, as was the case with your tricks and your, your tests of will previously, is that they can impose a shaking condition, which is a really good benefit in combat. So somebody who's not very good at fighting or shooting can still be useful in combat um, because a shaking condition can lead to damage later on. It's just a very beneficial thing to be able to do. So that's quite nice. And I like the idea that you can use any skill you like, um, depending on the context or the environment, to get an advantage in combat. The problem is that if you're successful, yes, the shaking condition, that's still there and that's still good. Um, but the basic condition, because you have to roll particularly well to get the shaking condition, the basic condition which tests will impose, you get a choice of distracted or vulnerable. And these are things which are imposed upon your op opponent if you've, if you've tested against them successfully. So if they're distracted, they get a minus two to their actions. And if they're vulnerable, then people making rolls against them get a plus two to their rolls. That's pretty cool. So you can see how you would, you know, you might be inclined to knock over the bookshelf to distract somebody or, or, or you know, or, or taunt them um, so that you could discombobulate them and set them up for a sucker punch. So you can see how contextually all of that works. The problem is that as written, you are absolutely subject to the arbitrary nature of the initiative system in Savage Worlds. Now, the initiative system in Savage Worlds is fantastic because you draw cards um, and the highest card acts before the lower card. Um, and there are various ways that your edges can interact with this. So you can still have characters who, are, who are, tend to be faster than other characters or get more options in combat, and they've just got various ways of playing the deck. And that is a wonderful feature of Savage Worlds. Well, the problem with these conditions, and one of the things about Adventure Edition is it does send you flicking around the book. It's not easy to find. So, so the test rules send you flicking over to the description of the distracted and vulnerable conditions. And as written, the distracted and vulnerable conditions, when they're imposed upon a character, last until the end of that character's next term. Now, you can see how that works for simplicity, and I'm not sure my alternative option that I'm going to suggest is better for simplicity, but, but, I'm, but I'm dissatisfied with how it pans out. So, firstly, the distracted and vulnerable don't seem to me to be um, equally important, and that, that's fine. Um, I mean, the distracted condition you're always going to get regardless of the initiative order because it lasts until the end of that character's um, next turn so whenever their next turn is um, they're going to get a minus two to doing whatever they want to do but you have sacrificed an entire action um, to get that minus two of course you don't have to sacrifice your entire action you could do a do a one two you could do a multi-action but then actually <laughs> If you do a multi-action so that you do a test and then an action, you've actually imposed a minus two to both of those. Um, so actually, 
whichever you choose, distracted or vulnerable, there's no point doing it combined with a multi-action because you're just basically taking a minus two to your action to either impose a minus two or get a plus two on the next action. So you wouldn't do it on your own account. So distracted, it seems like you're, you're sacrificing a whole action so that your opponent can get a minus two on their next action. Now, I mean, I can see why if you're really useless in combat, that might be the best way that you can contribute to a combat situation. But it seems like... Seems like any character might want to do something to distract an opponent. It doesn't just, it does, seems like it doesn't pay off very much. So, as I said, in my Savage Worlds Kung Fu Cops game, even though I, I souped up <laughs> tests, I still convinced players that they were, worth, they were worth doing. You know, why would I give up that, that opportunity to attack just to impose a minus two on that character's next action? So, distracted doesn't seem. Um, particularly valuable. Vulnerable, on the other hand, could be because you could set up, um, you could set up a situation where, you know, m- multiple of your um, allies got the plus two against the character. So you could see how that could pay off really nicely. Except that you are um, dependent on the initiative order. <laughs> so if you're acting last in the term, and you want to uh, inflict the vulnerable condition you are really hoping <laughs> that, that the initiative next turn pans out such that um, you or your chums get to attack that target before they have their turn and you, you can't really count on that so it seems like um, you would only really want to impose a vulnerable condition if you were high up in the initiative order so it seems like there's there's tactics that links the imposing of conditions to the initiative order and that seems a little bit unsatisfying because in the context i can see how you might just want to use something to make your opponent vulnerable and hope to get a benefit from that but the rules as written unless you're the right place in the initiative order you can't really rely on getting a benefit so so you're you're weighing off you know using a whole turn to potentially set up a plus two for maybe you maybe some of your allies if you're lucky enough to act before that person in the next turn i propose to fix um, so firstly i might be wrong about this on the other hand people might just say yeah that's just how those conditions work so when you're doing tests you're really hoping to roll high enough to get a shaken condition um and uh, and you just accept that you know you just play the initiative order so you'd only do them if you're in the right if you're in the right place. But as I say, that seems unsatisfying because it seems like you would just want to, you know, if there was something good that your character could do in the context, you'd want to do it and get the benefit. Now, the fix, I suggest, is that for... You could either do it just for vulnerable or you could do it for both conditions, is that you say, actually, that the condition lasts until the end of the inflicting character's next turn. That way, if you set someone up to be vulnerable, you can at least count on you getting a plus two against them next term. You might say, well, why would you, why would you sacrifice um, a, you know, a whole action for a plus two? But there are reasons why you might want to do that in Savage Worlds. Sometimes people have got high parry, or even if they've got high toughness, you might want to that plus two against their parry could help you to get a raise which would get you that additional <laughs> d6 against their toughness so you can see how sometimes the game gets tactical like that because you you know people are either blocking all your moves or or rolling with all of your punches because they've got high toughness so actually getting that plus two um, might be of benefit um, but also you'd have the advantage that you could hold your action so you could hold your action until all of your allies had had a chance to get the benefit um, so maybe that makes it a bit gamey, maybe that makes it a bit tactic the other way, but it seems it just might be more satisfying, because otherwise I kind of think, although there is a test mechanic, you're really kind of just doing it for the sake of it, and you're not really getting very much um, 
for using that that possibility in the rules. Anyway, I'm I'm happy to be persuaded otherwise about that. But as I say, I, I talked about it at length in my review of Savage Worlds, and nobody, even even all of the um, adherents of the of the new version that are out there on Anchor, nobody has um, called in to to set me straight or help me out. So I'd be really keen to hear what people have to say about that. You probably need to have read the adventure edition rules and you probably need to have played it a little bit as well to 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 kind of grasp why i don't find it satisfying there you go that is enough on savage worlds for the time being thanks again for my call-ins keep them coming thanks to shandy andy of unguarded treasure b52 che webster of roleplay rescue and josh beckelheimer of jb publishing i'll catch you soon Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact Dave, please leave a message on Anchor, email dpercentile at gmail.com, or find him on Twitter at d underscore percentile.